Thank you, Rick. Nancy, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read through a passage of scripture this morning, which we, if we were all honest, sometimes as we're reading the Bible, this is one of those passages that we skip. And sometimes it is the most, one of the most difficult passages to deal with especially as people decide they're going to read through the Bible or they hand them a New Testament and they've never read it before. And then staring them in the face is a list of names. And a lot of times we get to the what I call the begats. We just start skipping down until we know the begats have ended and then we get right back to the rest of the Bible. And you might say, well, what can we find in a list of names? It looks like one of the most tedious passages of scripture to deal with, and it's Christmas time. However, we look at this list of names. This list of names is very significant in that the entire authenticity of the book of Matthew pivots on this list of names. We want to look at the message that we find in the genealogy of Jesus Christ Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Urzan, Urzan begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadab, Abinadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Rahab begot Ruth, Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, Jesse begot David the king, David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah, Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abiah, Abiah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, Joram begot Uzziah, Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, Ahaz begot Hezekiah, Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amon, Amon begot Josiah, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiad, Abiad begot uh, Eliakim, and he be- Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Elihud. Elihud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathen, Mathen begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. From the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for some significance even in a list of names a genealogy, a family tree. Help us to find the message here and help us to rejoice in the message here that you give us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. 
This list of names a lot of times is something for us to wade through, and some of them are very difficult to uh, pronounce, very difficult to uh, understand. To the Jewish people, however, these lists were very, very important. And Matthew wrote primarily to a Jewish readership. He was a Jewish man, and he wrote this book primarily to make sure he properly presented Jesus Christ to the Jewish people. And in presenting Jesus Christ to the Jewish people, he starts here because the Jewish people were very, very proud of their pedigree. Each family was proud of their ancestry, and they kept their genealogy in a safe place. And they made sure they could trace it back. And they were aware of who they came from. Even the book of Philippians chapter 2 where the apostle Paul begins to list of all the advantages that he had going for him. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was proud of that. He could tell people who his pedigree, what his pedigree was. In the land division in Numbers chapter 26, it was important for you to know what brother that you came from and what tribe you came from so you could get your allotment. After the Babylonian captivity came back, they were reestablishing the priesthood. In Numbers chapter 26, I mean, excuse me, in Ezra chapter 2, some of the priests became disqualified. They came and presented themselves as priests, but they said, you can't serve because now your lineage has been broken because your ancestors intermarried with some other people over there in Babylon and they checked their pedigree, they checked their family tree and they said, you can't serve. In order to serve as a priest, you had to be sure you had an unbroken family lineage all the way back to Aaron, the brother of Moses. Credentials, they were important. And the importance of these credentials is revealed in two titles that Matthew presents at the first of his book. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. Now to understand the significance of this list, we have to look at those two titles. In fact, those two titles are the framework for the entire gospel. And to, to, to understand the entire gospel, you have to realize these two titles that Matthew presents for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Son of David. Now, for those of us that have not been experienced in the Bible that much, you might say, well, that just tells us he's the ancestor of David. It goes a lot further than that. Here's the significance in where it starts. Turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7. David wants to build a house for the Lord. And Nathan, the prophet, comes to David and shares some information with him. In 2 Samuel. Well, we back up to verse 4. It happened that at that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go tell my servant David. And he has some things to tell David. And in verse 16, Your house 
and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, and your throne will be established forever. That was a promise from God for David. And the promise to David was also a promise to the Hebrew people because they thought there'll be a king on the throne of the family of David forever and ever. And they, of course, looked at this as a political promise. But then they had some political problems. The political problems came that shortly after Solomon, you had one bad king after another. A list of bad kings who strayed away from God, and the Bible says they did evil in the sight of the Lord. That is repeated so many times it gets tedious. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And most of the time it says, and this king did worse than all of the ones behind him. So now there's trouble on the throne. Then, of course, the kingdom is divided because of that. Then it gets so bad, Babylonian captivity, there is no throne. There is no throne because the people of Israel have been carried away captive. There's no nation. They're allowed to come back after 70 years. And they begin to establish their nation once again. But the throne was never the same. Because shortly after that, it was one country after another occupying what we call the Holy Land. And then, at the time of Matthew's writing, Rome was squeezing the life out of Israel. They could feel bondage coming. And they never forgot that promise. And they kept looking for that king that would come on the throne that had a royal lineage all the way back to David. They kept looking for that king. And he would come and rescue their country. The importance of the title and the intensity of the desire is found if you look in chapter 12 verse 22. In the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 22. Matthew, chapter 12, verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him. So that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and they said, could this be the son of David? Did you catch that? Jesus does something so great, so amazing, so unthinkable. And it has to be a miracle. There's no other explanation. And the first thing they asked, is this him? Is it finally him? Has he finally come? Could this be the son of David? And what they meant was, is this the coming king and Messiah. Of course, when the Pharisees heard it, they said this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub. They were indignant. Well, if you look over in chapter 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. What does she call him? 
son of David. And she was not even a pure Hebrew lineage. But he, she had heard enough and she had seen enough and she knew enough about Jewish history. She said, that's the son of David. She doesn't ask the question. She addresses him as son of David. She has already acknowledged him as that king that was coming. A little bit further, chapter 20, verse 29. Chapter 20, verse 29. As they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him, Jesus. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, what? Son of David. They didn't ask the question either. They acknowledged him as the son of David. That's what they begin to call Jesus in his earthly ministry. To the point... Where if you turn over just another page or so in chapter 21, verse 9, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, Passover, places filled with over a million people. And he rides into the streets and the streets are lined with people. There's a crowd going behind Jesus and a crowd going before Jesus. And in verse 9, the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to who? The son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Did you catch that? They're not asking the question anymore. And you see, all through the book of Matthew, he presents Jesus as the son of David. Not only in his opening statement, but over and over and over again, one person asks the question, and the rest of the people answer the question, this is indeed the son of David. And Matthew begins his book by providing proof that Jesus was in the royal line of David's family. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Another promise found in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And the Jewish people had not forgotten that promise. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. We'll back up to verse 1. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And it... You, all 
the families of the earth shall be blessed. When he said that, people latched onto that promise. And they are looking at a worldwide kingdom coming from Abraham. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just the families of this little country, but every family of the earth. And then over in chapter 17, verse 6. Chapter 17, verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. An everlasting covenant. Kings will come from you. All the families of the earth will be blessed. This is an everlasting covenant. They didn't miss this. They took this as a promise that from Abraham, a worldwide throne would be established and all the countries and all the nations of the earth and all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And the Jewish people knew immediately who he was talking from and he said, here's the proof. So he begins to name, name after name, tracing the lineage through the royal family from Jesus back to David Back to Abraham. Now, how reliable were Matthew's sources? First of all, he got a lot of this lineage from the Bible itself. From the lineage of Obed that ends up, of course, with the birth of David the king. He finds that in Ruth chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Jeconiah, he finds that in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 10 through 19. Then there were the temple records. Genealogies were kept for centuries, and they were housed in the temple records. And Matthew knew how to look up temple records. He knew how to look up genealogies. Now, how would he look to know how to do that? He was a tax man. Tax man's going to know the records. He's going to know things. He knew how to go to the courthouse and look up this stuff. So he goes to the temple where the records are, and he goes through all of it, and he traces the lineage of Jesus Christ so he knows what he's talking about, and he knows what's going on. And he organizes this list in a format to where people could remember it. Now, he says this in verse 11. Verse 17, excuse me. All the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David to the captivity in Babylon, 14 generations. From the captivity in Babylon to the Christ are 14 generations. Now, why did he do this? Because it was easy to memorize. You see, this was in the day before printed books. Matthew hand wrote his gospel knowing that a few people would read it and many people would pass it on by word of mouth. So he organized this list of names after the number 14. This is quite interesting. Jewish people would know this. To every letter of the Jewish Hebrew alphabet, there was a, a number prescribed to it. Had a numeric value. <clears throat> David's name, there were, no there were no vowels. So David's name was D, V, D. D had a numeric value of four. V had a numeric value of six. You put those together, 14. 
Jesus Christ, son of David, 14. And there's three 14-generation lists here. And he establishes them with a, a way that's easy to understand. Three major periods of history. From Abraham to David, 14 generations. From David to Babylon, 14 generations. From Babylon to Jesus, 14 generations. Somebody could get that list, they could memorize it, and therefore they would have the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously some names and some generations were omitted because there's another list. There's another genealogy. That list has 74 names. It's found in the book of Luke chapter 3. Matthew's list has 14, I mean 41 names. So what's the deal? You may have some generations and some names omitted, but it's still accurate. Because if I can trace my lineage from one grandfather to the other grandfather, we know the generations in between are in there too. But Matthew does this so that people could remember it. But I want us to look at some seeming discrepancies between Matthew's list and Luke's list. And there's a message there as well. In Luke chapter 3, verse 23, but before you leave Matthew, pay attention. In the verse that, 7, uh, verse 6, Jesse begot David the king. David begot Solomon. By her had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. And then, of course, the lineage continues. Down to Joseph, who begot Jacob. I mean, J Jacob that begot Joseph. Joseph's daddy is Jacob. David's son is Solomon. Now turn to Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Mathat, son of Levi. It goes all the way down to verse 31, the son of Malia, the son of Manan, the son of Matthiah, the son of Nathan, the son of David. So now you have a discrepancy here. Aha, the critics of the Bible say, Bible's all wrong. See, it's got contradictions in it. What are we going to do with that? We have to understand. Where does the discrepancy come from? It's difficult to very start. Matthew has Joseph's father as Jacob. Luke has Joseph's father as Eli. So did Joseph's father have two names? Oh, there's a way we can kind of rectify this. Maybe his name was Jacob Eli. Well, maybe Jacob died and his brother Eli married the widow because that was done quite often. That's not sufficient possibilities because if you pay attention to details, you realize all the names from Joseph to David are different, including David's son in this list. Now, a man can't have two fathers, two biological fathers, and he also can't have a whole different set of ancestors tracing back to David. We're talking about a whole different family tree. Now, this is too big of a mistake to say, man, they just got it all wrong. So 
How do do you look at this? Well, Dwight Pentecost and other Bible scholars reveal the Greek language does not have a separate word for son-in-law. And a son-in-law many times was factored in as the son of an individual, and they didn't include women as direct components in a family tree. Now, in the Bible, there is a precedent with this. You remember where Naomi lost all of her sons, and she had all of her daughters-in-law, and she gathered them all together. She said, come, my daughters. You're free to leave because I don't have any more sons for you to marry. She calls them daughters. And so we realize these two lists are so different. Luke's genealogy traces the royal bloodline through Mary. There's no other explanation because the two family trees are totally different back to where you get to David. So he traces it through Mary. Joseph's legal credentials are presented by Matthew because that's what the Jewish people would look at. His legal credentials. Because even though Jesus was not the biological son of Joseph, legally he would be passed on the authority to be on the throne. Mary would be passed along as the biological bloodline. Now there's something even greater still. Luke, his list traces Jesus' lineage all the way back past Abraham, all the way back to Adam. Now what's the significance here? Big significance. Matthew, rightfully so, presents Jesus as the central focus of Jewish history. How do you understand the Bible when you're reading through all of that Old Testament? The central focus of Jewish history is God established the nation of Israel through which he would bring the Messiah into the world. That's how you understand it. Jesus Christ is the central figure of Jewish history all the way up to when he was born and he ministered and he died. That's the central figure. Luke goes one step further. He traces the lineage all the way back to Adam and he presents Jesus as the central figure of all of human history. Because therefore the non-Jewish people can't say, well, that's, that's their guy. No, no, he's our guy because he goes all the way back through Adam. And then it's even greater still and here's another clue that Luke was dealing with the bloodline biologically. Because he goes through Mary's lineage, which would be the bloodline. Because, of course, Jesus Christ was her biological son, but not Joseph's. Because both Luke and Matthew deal with this. Look all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. All the way back to the first of the... Talk about anchoring on bedrock. How do you understand this? Genesis chapter 3 gives us a clue of, of Luke's intentions. The sin and the fall had happened. And God is addressing the serpent. He addresses Eve and he addresses Adam. And in his address to the serpent, we have a promise. It's a threat to him, but a promise to us. So the Lord God said to the serpent, verse 14 of 
Genesis chapter 3. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than ever beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. You don't know why women are so afraid of snakes? I mean, it's unreasonable. The snake is that long. Chop it up. Chop up the snake. Women hate snakes. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, her seed, will bruise or crush your head. Her seed. That word seed means biological bloodline descendant. Her seed, her descendant will crush your head. Jesus Christ traced all the way back bloodline to Adam and her seed, her descendants, Eve's descendants, would crush the head of the serpent. So then he traces it all the way back up and says, see, this is what we were talking about. This is the seed that will crush his head. So we understand this by going all the way back to where? Genesis. So you mean to understand the Christmas story? We have to go all the way back to Genesis? Yes, because the Christmas story is woven into the entire Bible. This confirms two other passages of Scripture that we find in the book of Luke. They're very beautiful. Luke chapter 24, we have the disciples on the Emmaus Road. After Jesus had risen from the tomb, he walks with them on the Emmaus Road. And he talks with them, and they don't know who he is because obviously his appearance had changed, they're grief-stricken and so forth. And in chapter 24, verse 27, it says, Jesus began at Moses and the prophets and explained all things concerning himself. Did you catch that? Moses, Moses penned the first five books of the Bible. All the way back there, they were talking about the coming Messiah. And the prophets. And so we understand the Christmas story is anchored all the way back to Moses as per the very words of Jesus Christ. But then again, some of the most beautiful words penned in the Christmas stories in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. I want you to turn there. See if you catch it. Zacharias. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. John the Baptist would be, of course, the messenger of Jesus Christ. And John the, uh, Zacharias had been stricken mute because he was hesitant to believe the message of the angel about having a son. And they were about to name the baby. And they were going to name the baby, and he said his name will be John, and immediately he began to talk. And look at what he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies. Did you catch that? Since the world began... The prophets have been talking about Jesus Christ. Now, we think about the prophets, those guys that came along after Israel had started to misbehave quite a bit and Babylon was knocking on the door. Absolutely not. 
Prophets are just God's spokesmen. And according to Zacharias, God had spokesmen since the world began talking about the coming Messiah. Did you catch that? Of the house of David, the son of David, since the world began. So the Christmas story is anchored in the bedrock of the Old Testament. And Matthew, from the very start, pinning his book, introducing Jesus Christ, said, let me tell you where this is connected. Let me tell you where this is connected. And he talks about Abraham begets Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. And then on down through David. And then on down through Joseph. And Joseph was the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born. You see, the salvation story is not a new story. It is the story of the entire Bible. So as we celebrate Jesus Christ, isn't that something? That even in a book of a list of names, you find such a beautiful message that his lineage, his credentials are true. And here's one thing that we know. In the ministry of Christ, he was challenged by the Pharisees and the Sadducees who knew the temple records inside and out. They were the keepers of the temple records. Did you know his lineage is never challenged? His claim to be a son of David was never challenged. Why? They looked it up. They looked it up. And when Matthew comes along and said, let me present to you the son of David, I'm going to give you the credentials. Nobody challenged those credentials. Jesus is who he says he is. He is the son of God. He is the coming Messiah who came, paid the price, and he's coming again and wants us all to be able to rejoice in the Christmas story. As we prepare for an invitational hymn, what are we going to do with this information? Well, let me tell you. Jesus is who he says he is, then we have a responsibility on how we respond to him, right? Are we going to treat him as the king of kings and the son of David? Or is he just something else in our lives that just when we can work him in? If he's really the king, he should be treated as the king, right? Our king. God is leading you concerning a decision to make things right with him. You're dealing with the king this morning as we stand and sing. Number